Tobias Carlyle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. I was about to play Stairway. Play it. Play it. Yeah, dude. This is live right. entertainment. Now we're live. It says we're live anyway. It's going to sneak up. This is the part where I'm always talking, saying, is this live? Is this live? And then uh, I, I, I get to watch it back. And Yeah, it was. It was live then. What's up, folks? <laughs> I still don't see it on the YouTube machine. I think it's delayed a little bit. Okay. Hello. It's 10.35 on the West Coast. We're a little bit late. Sorry, folks. It's uh, one thirty p.m. East Coast. It's actually one thirty-five. We didn't... one thirty-five. Also, We're also yeah. on the same time frame. That's mm. strange. Is that how that works? I always it wondered. How, how, did, how did California get so far behind? I don't know. It was a long series of regulations. What's up, folks? Yeah, I got a brand new background. Uh, unfortunately, the light is coming from the opposite side, so it doesn't quite work. But I'll, maybe I'll figure that out. Maybe I'm not going to worry about it. I don't know. I don't this think anybody would know getting. if you didn't say that. It's not it's like the, the light's hitting one half of your face. It's the aesthete in me that wants it all. Wants mm-hmm. it all attractive. The artist. What are we talking about today, gents? What's happening? Uh, I think I'm going to talk a little bit about Disney Plus. JT, I was, ho- I was hoping for some cigarette talk, Bill. I could do that. Okay, good. I've got a little veggie segment on the uh, Dutch winter famine, so that should be Ooh. real uplifting. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll be talking about Francois Rochon. Uh, had a great tweet today that... Uh, or he had a great line that I tweeted out when he said, there's not much difference between 25 or 20 and 25 earnings. There is between 20 and 60, but between 20 and 25, I'm trying to be too prudent. So I want to discuss that. Is this, uh, is that a bull market special or is that, is that, is this the brave new world? Oh, let's start with that. I like that. Let me, let me, let me read it out. So I got, I got a, so Francois Giverny, I love the name of that fund uh, of that firm. There's not much difference between 20 and 25 times earnings. There is between 20 and 60, but between 20 and 25, I'm trying to be too prudent and miss the big picture. If you find a great company and it doubles its earnings every five years, valuation should be flexible. That's me paraphrasing, but that's what he said. Yeah, that makes sense to me because the what 20, 20 to 20 or 25 to 20, you're giving up roughly like 20% right in the in the uh valuation bleed and what if you're doubling your earnings so you're up 100 down 20 it's 80 you're up 80 over what five years like you're still doing pretty well i mean you're you're compounding north of 15 percent, but from 60 to 20 you're fucked and that's a technical term well here's the thing right it's not so much the uh i, I got no problem with the mathematics of it it's the likelihood of something doubling every five years. And in addition to that, it's this, you know, we're talking about earnings, right? We're talking 20 or 25 times earnings out of that. You got, uh, 
some reinvestment and you've got some dividends. Like it's not, that's not 20, 25 times free cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think he would probably say that he's using earnings as a rough proxy. That dude knows his stuff. I don't think, uh, I'm not going to go at him for not knowing his stuff. Uh, so I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and think he's maybe talking. I, I'm not, I'm not disputing. I'm not, I'm not saying you are. Yeah. I'm not saying you are. I, I'm just saying, I think he would probably agree with your with your comment. Well, let me let me do a little inversion here. And what's the difference then? Like what you're really trying to do is protect against, you know, compression of of, you know, by not overpaying, right? Not paying 60 means that if there is compression in the earnings and even if it was to grow a lot, um, you get multiple fade like that, like you're going to get hurt. So you don't want to overpay. All right. Well, what's the difference then between like, why not 30 then instead of 25? Well, going back to 15 times, which is the long run normal for an average business, like that's a 50% fade. I don't see a big difference between 25 and 30 on the fade. So going the other direction, like what's the difference between 30 and, and 25? What do you mean? You're saying why not? Why not this? pay up to thirty then? If if you're what you're worried about is fade, then the difference between twenty five and thirty fading back to fifteen is not really that big a deal. Well, you, I mean, I think that you can pay a lot if you're that confident that the earnings are going to grow over time. I mean, I do think this is where some of the growth guys on these smaller businesses. Like like small and rich, I still think can deliver you really good returns. But I, I do understand the base rates are not in your favor. But I think that these guys that are doing like really, really deep work would argue that you're right. The base rates aren't in your favor. And that's what we get paid to figure out is the difference between the base rate and the outlier. And like, that's why we make our money. Agreed 100%. But the, the base rate of you thinking that you are have some special talent might be less than what is uh currently self-assessed in today's market yeah well i mean look i think in any given in anything most people fail like i don't care if it's business i don't care if it's most customer relationships i don't care like what it is almost everything that i've seen follows a power law where like i hate to be like one of these winners win guys but um you know, there, there's like, you know, I don't know, the, the average person that plays football sucks at football relative to the best. And uh, I, I do agree that like if you're the average investor, I think this is the case for indexing or using some computer uh, assisted tool or, or becoming a quant. Like, I, I think that that makes a ton of sense. But I think a guy like him, I mean, he's made his career by by proving that he's pretty close to the outlier, I think. It's a good bigger topic, though, of um, outliers versus base rates and which, knowing which game that you're trying to play. Yeah, I think that's fair. Is that something, I mean, this is something that you hear at the end of, well, not necessarily the end, but well into a very long bull market. I mean, I don't know where we are in the southern middle of it. So <laughs> the middle of it. Yeah. It just seems to me that it's been. Uh, you know, it's pervasive. Everybody says, "Well, you don't buy, you don't buy cyclicals. You buy compounders, and you 
And you really, the only mistake you can make is not paying up. Yeah. I, but you I don't think that's quality. what he's saying, right? I mean, he said like, don't pay 60% or 60 times earnings. So he's not saying don't pay up. I think what he's saying is like, if you think you have a really good business and you have some like mental thing in your head where 20 is your maximum, there is a level to stretch to that is not, um, you know, you should probably stretch now where sort of where you should stretch to is I think like a very, very reasonable argument to be had, you know, let's reframe the question. Do you think that having hard rules, like I will never pay more than 20 times or 25 or 30 or whatever it is that your cutoff is helps you or hurts you in general? I think it depends what game you're playing. Toby, what do you think? Well, I mean, why not pay 60 times earnings? Well, it depends how big the earnings stream is, right? I mean, like that that's sort of, if you go back to like when Buffett bought Coke, it, you know, I, I, if you could foresee the growth and you actually thought you could see it, then I almost don't even view it as like, who gives a shit on current multiple of earnings? It's how big can your earnings base get? How much reinvestment do you need to get to that rate? How levered is your current balance sheet? How levered could it be? How much return could you get? And what are you paying as a grossed up number? Like, I wouldn't even view it on a multiple basis. I'd be like, I'm buying this for $4 billion and I think it's going to return this much money over time. That's how I would think about it. I, I wouldn't even think about multiples, especially small. But if you're so confident that it's going to double every five years, so what's that? That's like a fifteen percent underlying growth in the. Is that right? It's probably it's probably roughly around that kind of number. Yeah. Real right, seventy-two yeah. divided by five. Yeah. Or seventy-two like divided by five. Fourteen. Yeah. Fourteen or fifteen. If you're confident that it's going to do that, so that means in five years' times it's on thirty times earnings. Five years after that, it's on fifteen. Right. So. 10 years time, you're going to have a company that's on 15 times earnings, which is the average. So you're saying that the fade is average to like, that's, that's right. Isn't it? That's probably like a relatively appropriate price, right? It's not really discounted at 60 then. No, but it's, it's, it's the fair value. So anything, anything under that is, and then you're getting, you're getting, then that's getting no return, right? So you're getting no return at 60 times earnings if you fade to 15 multiple after 10 years. Yeah. Yep. One a little yeah. bit more than no return, I think. Well, but I guess that like, what is that's that's like, my that's that, that's my that's my that's my bold statement today. I want more than no return for the next decade. It's a good one. I, that's that's the takeaway. Um, well, you're not going to be a central banker anytime soon. <laughs> I mean, that's going to be tough to do in this market. That's that's genuinely tough to do. I think that sounds insane. But I look at the the implied returns on the market at the moment are going to be, uh, you know, excluding the dividends, strong negative, to quite strong. <laughs> excluding the dividends, we're at like negative 0.7 percent plus 1.4 or 5 percent dividends gets you to plus 0.7 to 0.8. But what are you assuming that things fade to? Yeah, the long run average at like 16 times, I think 16 times on a Cape basis. I just think, I just don't know that I can get down with that argument because like I don't, even Google growing at 3%, 
uh, a year. Like, let's assume that everybody's growing top line at three percent, which is not an accurate. That's that's, that's uh, let's say that's inflation. Yeah, GDP. Well, like, yeah. Uh, GDP. I mean, this is uh, how I'm framing this is really stupid, but not like all businesses aren't going to trade at the average. This is actually something that. I'd love to talk to Nigrin about because they they fade their exit multiple to a market average. And it just doesn't make any sense to me because like if you think of let's let's think of real estate for a second. And and then it's like, okay, well, you're paying, you know, a three cap in for Chicago, like class A real estate, but isn't it just gonna fade to the average? It's like, no, it's Chicago class A real estate. It, you gotta fade it to the average of the comp set that you're comparing it to. Uh I don't think that saying I don't think that like thinking that all businesses will fade to average or revert to average is uh I've never been comfortable with that idea. Yeah, I understand I'm, that. I'm, I'm very comfortable with that idea <laughs> enough timeline. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I have been thinking about that too because I build I build these little models that have a fade over ten years, and I'm like, why do you fade something that's like sixty percent return on invested capital, fade that to average versus something that's a thirty percent return on invested capital, fade it to average over ten years? It's not fair to the thirty percent return on invested capital, you know, assuming everything else is the same, because the one that's earning sixty, did I say it's not fair to the sixty one? It's it's because the sixty one, you know, that's that's a, everything else being equal, it's twice as good. It's not fair to fade it that quickly, whereas it should have a. I don't know exactly how you how you build it out, but you say it fades at a fixed rate, and therefore the sixty should fade slower than the thirty, or should get back to average slower. Like should take twice as long, maybe, to get back to average. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess like one of the things that I'm I'm thinking of is like Hermes. I mean, Hermes has been Hermes since my grandma was a little girl. It has never. Everyone that has ever said this brand is going to fade has been completely fucking wrong. So uh, is that the outlier? Yes. But like Ferrari too, I think that you can look at what that brand has done. Uh, Disney has gone through some really bad spouts. So, you know, maybe media assets are slightly less um, durable. Maybe luxury is just this version of CPG and maybe luxury is all of a sudden going to get hammered. I don't know. But what I do know is like, I just don't think Hermes is an 18 times business. Uh, it, it just, it, it's very, very hard for me to get my head around why that would be a valid assumption under any type of, um, like reasonable circumstance that's actually foreseeable other than, well, it must happen. But like, that's not really valid to me. It's fashion, right? It's hard. It, there's, there's for every Hermes, there's, there's dozens of others that have like completely disappeared or ruined their brand. But that's the point. There's only one. So that's not an average business. Yes, I agree. Michael Kors and Hermes are like way different. Michael Kors, Polo, Coach, all that shit's the same. Hermes is different. So like those should trade at a multiple that is what that multiple is. Hermes is a completely different animal. Why? Because it is. Because they treat that brand with the respect that it needs because they control distribution because it's not a mass market thing that's got, you know, 
10,000 stores all over Michigan Avenue and they can't wait to expand because they restrict the supply. Like you, you wait can't until just... I get a CEO who comes in and says, you know what we need to do? We need mastige because we're being left behind by all these other guys who are selling. Okay. Well, then you this... sell, then you sell, then you don't even fucking wait for the fade. You just sell. But, but for a period of time, they're going to make a lot of money. No, you, you sell, you're out. It's a fundamental strategy shift that makes no sense. I wouldn't sit around and wait for the numbers to prove that at all. I think then, then you get waxed. Like that's, that's, I think the game that, that, I mean, that's the game I play. I don't, I don't know what else, what other people do. I, if I don't agree with the straight, it's why I sold Comcast. I don't agree with their strategy in their media assets at all. And I don't know how to handicap how much money they're going to burn. Brian Roberts is a great CEO. I hope the people that are long it make a lot of money. I know the stock's cheap relative to other cable assets. I don't agree with their strategy, so I'm out. And like that's that's how I invest. So your your topic is going to be Disney. So I'm just going to front run it a little bit. But there, there was a I, I missed the name of the there was a guy talking today on one of the networks about they have an ETF that gets rid of the um, companies that they think are going to be. So, so I guess they're giving you the index, but they're taking out of that index the stuff that they don't think deserves to be in the index. And one of the companies that they took out was Disney. For what? What index? They have. So say it's the S&P 500, but then you've got to take out certain names that they think are going to be... T- I think they were talking about technological obsolescence. I think that was kind of their, their idea. That's called the Do you think Disney is going to be technologically <laughs> obsolete? Dude, I was, I was surprised. I was they're like... out of their minds. Well... If anything, like Disney's trying to make the leap, right? Or Disney's made the leap. Like Disney's probably yeah, a bigger threat to those to, people are crazy to Netflix. I, but it, they're free to sell whatever product they want. They're wrong. What? What? How would you discern what is technologically obsolescent or or at risk? There. I mean, I wish I'd be paying a little is. more attention. But the 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 you know there was some stuff in there like Visa. Hit the hit the hit the road, Visa. I mean, here's some things that like I would be really uncomfortable with. Uh, I don't like the idea of shitty brands thinking they're going to become luxury. Uh, Restoration hardware is probably the only one that I've seen any evidence of being able to pull it off. But like when Volkswagen tried to go up market with the Phaeton or whatever, that was garbage. If anybody thinks that Coach can actually become like a real luxury brand, their leather goods are fine. But like they diluted their brand with all those damn sea bags and stuff. And like once you do that and it's that visual... I just don't think, I guess Gucci kind of came back, but they never like really sold out. Um, One that may be in the process that somebody has been hitting me up about is Harley Davidson. That may be worth looking at. And they, the person that's been hitting me up, like pretty much bottom tick that. So shout out to you. But, um, you know, I don't know. I I don't like brands turning around, Um, but luxury that's the remaining luxury and executing, I can get comfortable with that. I found some of the other names that they're, they're kicking out. I, I don't know if I don't know if I can tell what's what is. Uh, I don't know what the underlying pattern is here, but they're, they're they've kicked out Walmart, Disney, um, Berkshire, Exxon, Chevron, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Verizon, AT and T. So anything that hasn't been doing very well lately. <laughs> yeah, it feels a little bit that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, Maybe, look, I it's see just one... a momentum kicking out. Yeah, momentum, that's just a momentum overlay, momentum. guy. Maybe that's what it is. 
I mean, there's one comment that says, I, I think it's harder than it seems. I mean, I, I guess that the thing that I don't like about the comment of it's harder than it seems, is I don't understand why anyone should think that anything in the market is going to be easy. Like if you are trying to make money in the stock market, it's going to be really, really hard. Otherwise, just index. And then like you don't have to worry about it. But like buying value stocks is not easy. Like there's nothing easy about underperforming year after year after year, waiting for some cyclical to re-rate and hoping that you sell it and go find another. In the same way that there's nothing easy about playing a game where you're paying up and waiting for asset quality to change. Like all of these games are really, really hard. The question is, what risk are you comfortable living with and what can you execute, in my opinion? I think where value has a little bit of an edge in that argument is historically the odds are better on your side. Yeah, so somebody said the other day that the, some firm said that the last century was the century of value. And so this century is the century of uh, growth or momentum. Yeah. Okay. And what's the, what's the end decade. on that data set of centuries? <laughs> 1920. Uh, yeah, we got uh, two centuries worth of data. <laughs> Not enough ends. Not enough ends. I think the really tough thing is like some of these, you know, like I'm talking about luxury. Well, it's really easy. I think CPG is what I keep coming back to. But back in the day, you know, those, I mean, look at what happened to Buffett on Kraft Heinz, right? It was like monitoring when the shift happens and how the shift happens. I mean, I think that's really, really, you know, tough. And if you're paying a rich multiple and the shift happens, you're going to take a write down on that asset. You don't run a portfolio of N equals one assets. And a lot of the big money and a lot of the guys that I really respect have been made holding the assets for really long times, even when they've been rich. And that's like, that's the thing that's really hard for me to get my head around, right? Because Ben Graham, the god of value investing, made most of his money in Geico. So how do you square that circle? What's, what's the... St- similarities between IBM and Kraft Heinz, which are both sort of notable Buffett missteps, no growth, lack of growth. I don't know that much about, I, I, I'm not, I don't know that much about IBM. I, I think Kraft was just like, I think they levered up to buy a set of assets at the wrong time. Like I, sometimes you just do deals and stuff doesn't work out. Like I don't, I don't know that that's, that's Is just that kind of life. He comes from a world where you know, you you had that three channels or two channels and you had the supermarket end cap and basically you could dominate by shoving advertising down the tube and then you could spend enough money to kind of control the, the grocery aisle and yeah, that was the way that you exercised your pricing power. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the grain of, of truth or, or what opened the door for Kraft Heinz failure, and this is not scientific so don't assume it's right um but is when when we went through the great recession people really got comfortable with private label brands and then once i think people got comfortable with private label brands the grocery stores started to feature them a little bit more and as they started to feature them a little bit more that shelf space and mindshare that Kraft Heinz sort of like click were brand image and and like how people used to buy shifted and all of a sudden 365 was as good as you know mac and cheese and all of a sudden 
Kirkland became this real brand that people really cared about. And now all of a sudden, like, uh, you know, you get some stuff on the internet and where I think that's kind of similar. And one of the reasons that I'm still like nervous about what, uh, watching how trans dime trades from here is I think that this, what we just lived through could be the thing that changed. Not like, I think people are going to fucking rage. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I live in Florida. People are raging. I assure you of that. If anyone that thinks that life's not getting back to normal is out of their mind. But I do think that business travel may seriously be impaired because I do think a lot of companies have figured out we can cut a lot of costs and not lose that much. And that's not to say that people aren't going to get on airplanes anymore, right? There's nuance in this discussion, but little changes in, in uh, utilization can have big impacts. Especially um, on high operational leverage businesses yeah. like airlines and hotels and. Yeah. And Transdime's better. They have a lot of variable costs, but yeah, they got a big debt stack and you know, I don't, I don't know. It's just, those are kind of the, that's what I wonder 10 years forward if we look back and we say, boy, travel really was kind of like the, uh, you know, that was kind of the kink in travel's armor that, that private label was to CPG. Maybe not. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm going to get on a plane, but. I'm, I'm always astonished how small, around. how small the airlines are relative to, you know, I don't know exactly where these are. The last time I looked at the numbers, the, the airlines were like $30 billion uh, market caps, I think. Yeah, you, know, you got Google out there at 1.7 trillion. Like Google could buy an airline just to fly its people around. It could, but it would deteriorate the business. It wouldn't be great for the business, but it'd be, <laughs> you know, it's just like they, they probably earn enough in a quarter to buy an airline outright. And they just use it for Google employees. Yeah, as they should. I mean, in the future, we're all going to be either Facebook, Amazon, Google, like employees, like that. And that's going to be our tribe. We're going to go to war as, uh, you know, Amazon blue, blue paint smeared yeah, on your that's face. It. That's it. The logo. Except we're all going to end up working for Facebook because they're going to own all of the actual underlying. Just some of us will be on different teams. We'll have the WhatsApp team, the Instagram team, all the olds will be crippling around there with their Facebook paint on. <laughs> you, Viagra. You, you'll be on the internet. You'll never leave the ecosystem of like Google's Google owns a whole lot of servers. Like you just never leave the Google ecosystem. Yeah. It'd be like internet fiefdoms that you're yeah. a part of. Yeah. yeah. Apple too. Jeez. The young kids will be all discorded out. That's <laughs> Snapchat. And I'll still that's be a- trying to figure out what this color is. That's attacking me. Spacking their NFTs. <sighs> that's a bleak Spacking future. an NFT is kind of <laughs> sexy. I like that. Let's, uh, Let's move on. Let's do another topic. Well, I was just going to talk about Disney and I can talk about cigarettes real quick too. Um, but I, I was watching Disney and, and I, uh, it's just amazing to me what Disney plus is doing for that franchise. And the thought that I, I sort of had was, you know, the WandaVision uh, show I didn't personally care for, but the numbers you can't really lie with or, or argue with. And then, when I was watching Falcon and Winter Soldier, I mean, they're going to get like six hours of content out of something that would probably be a two and a half hour, maybe three hour movie. So you're like doubling your potential, uh, you know, time that, that you can view people. And then all of a sudden, like, uh, shout out to Francisco for this idea. I don't want you to say I didn't cite you for it. 
but like it, it elevates um, like those uh, characters. Right. So now maybe somebody didn't care about, you know, winter soldier as a figurine, but like now they really do. And, and the way that they're going to be able to introduce characters um, it's just, it, it's wild to watch and to think about. And I guess that, like when I, when I saw the Disney plus announcement, like I kind of, I knew it was big, but now like actually seeing how big it was is wild. Um, and it's really cool to see how those assets are going to be able to be flexed. And I guess that where I think it's relatable uh, or why I think it's maybe an important lesson is like when I listen to Ron Barron talk about Vail, uh, the way that he saw that investment and the way that he thought through like the location of the assets and what they might be able to do with hotels and how they might be able to invest. Like, I think that's the key for figuring out like where growth can go and then updating priors. Right. And, and thinking through like, okay, well, how does this change? How I'm going to think about this, this, and this, uh, it's a fascinating game to play. I don't know that you can do it with precision, but, um, it's, it's been interesting to watch. I, I talked to Sanjay uh, on, on the other pod about it a little bit with, with Shopify, right? Like, how do you, how do you think through holding something like that? And I, I think that's, I think what people do and not, not necessarily him or WCM, but just generally is uh, some people that I, that I respect have told me that they, they try to think five years out, how could this double? right? Earnings. And they, they keep asking that question and they try to focus on that. And then once they can't answer that, then maybe it's a sell, but as long as they see a path, they hold, it's kind of an interesting thought. I don't know what to do with it. It's that you're all along. I, I, I like the, I like the approach. I like the idea. I, I like, I love Shopify as a, if valuation was no obstacle, I think Shopify is my favorite. Yeah. It's pretty uh, cool. My favorite business. My fa- front you get my, behind my it too, managers. right? Yeah, it's like attacking Goliath. It's got everything. It's distributed, so it's not like you can hate. You know, if you have a bad experience, it's unlikely that you blame Shopify. You blame, as opposed to Amazon, like you get some scammy item from Amazon, which happens more and more frequently. You know, I sort of now I'm a little bit suspicious of the stuff that's on Amazon. That doesn't happen with Shopify. Dude, you know what's wild about that is I don't even trust Amazon reviews, and I still go to yeah. Amazon to order. It's very convenient. Yeah. So what actually matters, right? It's convenience. It's not actually trust. Yeah. But then, so we, you know, we bought, we bought a little, we bought a little, we bought a trike for my three-year-old and because he's, he likes the trike that the older kids have got. And uh, it turned out it was, it was, we thought we were buying the name brand thing and it turns out we were buying a knockoff and it fell apart like pretty quickly. Mm because he thrashes it pretty hard. So we had to get, had to go back in. And this time I was much more careful to like make sure I'm getting the, because even in the description, they said it was, you know, this type of, this car. And then I realized it was not, it was a cheaper knockoff. Inspired by this guy. Yeah, inspired by Clever. (laughs) I don't know, I don't know how, but I just, I didn't even think about the fact that there'd be, you know, something that would be identical, it would be a knockoff in there. And it's clearly like nowhere near as good. So where'd you buy your next? Uh, Walmart. We just bought a bike from Walmart. Uh, obsolete. Sorry. Canceled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's bizarre. It's got to I mean, be a momentum run. What is it like? 99% of the population lives within 
a half a mile of a Walmart or some craziness like that. It's not bad. Is that but so? No, no, that's that's like yeah. But I'm I mean, I'm saying call it seventy. You think it's that like it's it's one of those stats that's that shocking? Yeah. Huh. I went I went online. We did it online. So that's yeah, Walmart it. has that. It's called Walmart.com. Yeah. I mean <laughs> no way they're going obsolete. They're on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they made that acquisition, right? And that kind of changed Jet. uh Jet.com. Jet, that was a billion yeah. dollars for nothing. I think they nothing. wrote that one to zero, didn't they? Yeah, but well, how are they doing that? They're, they're fulfilling it somehow. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, even though it's like directly not uh there's there's um there's knowledge that they took out of that that's clearly like helping them now like put a website up no i mean like it's like QVC, <laughs> it's like qvc and zulily right like zulily i don't think is uh this asset that they thought they would get and clearly like the acquisition has had problems but there were there's a lot of retargeting advert like ad tech that they got out of it. And I do think that there's some cultural stuff that Zulily probably helps them with. Um, you know, I, I don't know what I think I don't know if they should sell it or not. I don't know what the hell they should do. Greg Maffei. Hopefully he knows. That. Yeah. That's that's the bet. That is the bet. Is that so he's given, smart? Given that um the cigarette stocks have taken a whack, uh what, what's going on there? I, so I guess that uh, the Biden administration is considering lowering the amount of nicotine. The smoking in cigarettes. age. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, lowering the the uh, nicotine percentage per stick. Uh, Doesn't that, isn't that good for them? Doesn't it mean you got to buy more? Dude, that's what I thought. Somebody said that there's some study out there that uh, says that after you reduce the amount of nicotine in cigarettes, uh smoking i've seen a couple things one i've seen that smoking amount remains unchanged uh some people have said that like it goes to a lower adoption cycle or something like that less addictive all i can tell you is i think finance i love y'all whoever's listening but like sometimes i think that people nerd out way too much and don't know people that are addicted to shit and my sense is that if people knew how much people fiend for nicotine they probably throw away the studies and just like watch how people huff cigs. I'm with you, Toby. I think that I think pack sales are going up. And if pack sales aren't going up, I think those nicotine pouches are going to go up. Uh, Isn't so that Swedish why they put Nash nicotine in it to begin with? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, I, I think that's why it works. They have to like put it in there. Do they? <laughs> well, uh, okay. Just watch like a light beer drinker, right? I, People that in my experience that are heavy drinkers, if you watch them drink light beer, they don't get less drunk. They just drink a lot more beer. <laughs> yeah. So like 12 pack. Like, yeah, they just a... like crush 12 of them and then instead of four. So maybe maybe that's not right. But the other the other comment that I thought was pretty smart is they were like, oh, there's gonna be a run on full nicotine cartons in the in the next Ooh, you know, give me the hard stuff. <laughs> yeah. What about so, in uh the vaping? Can you get different levels of you must be able to get different levels of nicotine and vapes i you know my vape knowledge is lower than it probably could be i i think one of the things that's uh going to be interesting to watch is jewel was you know the subject of all that regulatory stuff uh back in the day and by back in the day i mean within a couple of years <laughs> but, but then the they last just, presidency 
Yeah. Which, which they, feels like a thousand years ago at this point. Yes, it does. Um, but then they just had this PMTA process that like required a lot of money to get through, which basically you had to certify that you knew that your products weren't getting sold to children. And the irony in that is many of these smaller producers didn't have the money to get through the PMTA process. So capture baby there we go yeah so to me like i understand why people want to say like oh this is going to hurt the cigarette companies and stuff but i just haven't ever seen anything that does i, I just, <laughs> nothing hurts I, cigarette companies I, I just don't believe it the only thing that hurts them is people dying and and that hasn't even stopped the cash flows it's crazy that there have been studies out since the 60s saying these things kill you people are like well probably not me base rates don't apply to me yeah or people i mean i don't know like People like drugs. Yeah, because you're at the end of your life, not at the beginning. So, you know, don't worry about it. To get to the end. <laughs> you're just cutting off the crappy years. I don't actually think that's how it works. You're pulling forward the crappy years. You're cutting off the good years. That's right. That, but, that's you know, real talk. No, that's real. Don't demonetize us, YouTube. Oh, we're probably we're gone for this one. There's a dollar yeah, thirty-eight sure. out the window. Is it a dollar yeah. thirty-eight now? That's been a, a lot of hard work to get to that. Nah, it's probably a bit hard at this point. I don't it's know. That's fair. All right, since we're in uh, negative uh, deaths and everything, should we <laughs> do some veggies on the, the Dutch winter famine? Yes. Sure. Give the people All what right. they want. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's transport ourselves back to towards the end of World War II. And uh, you know, food supplies are really scarce in the Netherlands. And <clears throat> it's, it's currently being, most of it is being occupied by Germany. And the Dutch government that existed at that time organized a railway strike that pissed the Germans off because they were couldn't like move their stuff around inside of Germany because they were occupying it or inside of um, the Netherlands uh, because they were occupying it. And uh, the Germans put up a food embargo and it was really hard also for the other like the allied to get supplies and food to the to the Dutch because all the ports were all bombed out. And like, I mean, the place was just in shambles. So food stocks rapidly declined for a, about four and a half million people who were living there. And adult rations in Amsterdam dropped from to below a thousand calories per day in November of 1944. And then in uh, below 580 calories per day in February of 1945. So I don't know if you guys have, have you guys done much like kind of playing around with fasting at all ever? Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's very, very little, but not probably in a, uh, for like months on end at, at a oh, no, 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 well no. below no, basal no, no, no. metabolic rate. No, no, no. Nothing. Like I think that. if you look at my body, you'd know, I don't fast. <laughs> <laughs> that was a rhetorical question. Fair. So anyway, like it's, it can be, it's obviously pretty rough. Right. And people also, uh, happening at that same time, like gas and electricity were, uh, in the, in the, uh, and heat were all shut off, um, with this in the middle of the war. So they had like young people who were relatively healthy would walk 10 to 20 kilometers to out into the farm to trade their valuables for food and, you know, bring it back and try to feed the family. Um, people resorted to actually eating like tulip bulbs and like beets uh, and just like anything that they could gnaw on. And they started burning all their furniture to stay warm. Uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty bleak. Uh, about 18,000 roughly 
people died directly from the famine and probably many more from health related uh, things. So all of this is very bleak and grave, right? But it did produce some interesting data, if you will, in sort of a scientific experiment because you took a developed, uh, you know, relatively advanced nation and you basically like cut the food off for a period of time. So it gave us all kinds of um, a really interesting control group, basically, that you we'd never really had before. So um, children of women who were exposed to the famine, and especially if you were in the third trimester during that winter, uh, created these incredible long run problems. Um, so what you ended up, the, the people, the kids who were born from during that time were, are much more susceptible to diabetes, cardiovascular disease, schizophrenia. Um, and they, they looked at it and actually, um, it looks like possibly this PIM3 gene it was like downregulated during that time period. And what ended up happening was then is it, it slowed their metabolism down. So like their bodies will store every calorie that it can get its hands on because of, you know, the, the lean conditions of this very, very important time period when they sort of like the printing was happening, um, you know, within the body. Um, and it, it lasted not only through their lives, and obviously those kids were, were smaller than average, the ones who came out of that cohort. But what's interesting is that the, their kids were also smaller than average. So when you look at, uh, you know, environment can silence or boost DNA, right? And the study of that long run control of DNA is called epigenetics. And so what we end up was that like surprisingly, uh, their, the children, it echoed for a couple generations after this time period where they had, uh, you know, this, this shortage. Another interesting thing was they discovered that, um, that actually like there was a connection between wheat and celiac disease. So you had all these kids in the, in like a ward for a hospital that had celiac. And when the wheat got cut off due to the famine, all these kids miraculously recovered and then when the foods came back, like wheat came back, they all like immediately relapsed. So that's how we figured out the connection between wheat and celiac disease. Hmm. How did celiac disease manifest? Like, what, what was the? Uh, I, th I think it looks a IBS lot like, like IBS. That. Yeah. Right. Um, so interestingly enough, like Audrey Hepburn was actually a child during that time period in the Netherlands. And even though she was obviously very wealthy, she had really poor health you know, through the later half of her, you know, part of her life where she had like anemia and respiratory illnesses and was just generally kind of unhealthy and couldn't really fix it. Um, so that's sort of like some interesting background there of like, wow, we have this, this control group where I try to tie this back into finance and investing would be, um, I think, and part of it actually is like, uh, reading some of these uh, like uh, vignettes in William Green's new book about these different investors. But I think the time period of when you were printed on by you know, what was happening has a huge impact and maybe even reverberates you know, through your family potentially, like culturally, um, like sort of an epigenetics of culture you know, within a family. Um, so I think about for me personally, I... 
in my, when I was really young, I had a, a great grandmother who was a, a really big influence on me. And she was uh, in her late twenties and early thirties during the great depression. And so I think that that kind of being uh, frugal and I'm going to say miserly for lack of a, of a better term, but like, I, I feel that like, I like saving. I like, uh, I get, I get psychic benefit actually from depriving myself of things often. So, and I think some of it's related to that mentality, like a depression area mentality that sort of imprinted upon me, uh, epigenetically in a way. And I've tried to put it on my kids as well. Uh, so I don't know what I, I think, you know, like I've heard, uh, drunken Miller talk about how, like in, if you're in a bull market, you do not want the old guys around. Like you want to get the young bucks in there who have never seen damage, who've never like taken one on the chin because they're going to be the ones that can push the hardest in that time period. Uh, so I don't is know, just good uh, thing, food. Well, during the time period it is, I think, I don't Until know the end of it. Yeah. I mean, that was, the, that wasn't that the, the thing that that's literally the thing that got him in trouble. Wasn't it? He got two guys in right at the very top. They tore up a billion dollars or so. So what, said, I mean, what do you, you guys think Nothing. that you have any, um, do you think that your value bent Toby at all or, or uh, build like is from something in your youth that sort of was an imprint? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I, I was a more traditional value investor until, uh, 2008, 2009. And I just, everything, the growthy stuff just got absolutely sliced to, to, um, or cut the smithereens, smashed the smithereens cut to slivers. What about when you were younger though? I mean, I think a lot of us, I think it happens sooner than that. Yeah. It's, I don't know. Cause it's not like there was no investing in my family. It wasn't like it was a thing. My grandparents were similarly a great depression and just never trusted the stock market. When my grandfather retired, he put all of his money in cash because cash was yielding like 16% of the time, but he never moved out of cash through his entire life and just gave me a few lectures on the dangers of the stock market. Yeah. What do you think, Bill? Uh, I don't really know. I don't have anything like that. I guess the one thing that I that I do wonder if like sometimes I don't mind running into fire um, is like I have heard uh, stories of my grandma's grandfather. What like was really lighter fluid on his business was uh, the Great Depression. And he was one of the few guys that was willing to write insurance during that because he had the capital to do so. And like when everybody else was really ha down on their luck, like he just grew market share like crazy. Uh, mm -hmm. At least that's how the story has been told to me. Um, and actually like uh, APG and Eni at Bank of America did something similar when uh, I think it was the San Francisco fires or something like that. So I've always like identified uh, with, I, I mean, maybe that was the reason that I was willing to buy some like levered shit in March, you know? Um, and I, when I say shit, I don't mean shit. Uh, I think Transdime's <laughs> a good company, but like maybe that's why I was slightly more willing to just be like, no, this is kind of nuts uh, and swing a little bit. But I, I don't, I don't know. I, I do think that um, I would be lying if I said that I didn't live a, a pretty nice life monetarily. Uh, and maybe that's why I'm able to identify with like some of these luxury goods a little bit better. Um, I don't know. All right. Well, I think we've killed this one. We got time for some questions. Yeah. Throw some <laughs> questions. That was a good one. I definitely think that like the time that like, I, I do worry that the time that I've become professional 
has coincided with, uh, you know, like a real re-rating of growth and how much of that is colored, like how I see the world and how much of that is real and how much is not. I mean, I, that I, that I do try to be cognizant of, but. I mean, that's the main, that's the main argument, right? In, in, for any kind of investor, you don't have to be a value investor, but is this, is this change that we have seen, is this secular or is this cyclical and which, which group you fall into sort of dictates how you invest through this period. And I just can't get away from the fact that I think that there have been cycles like this before and this is unusual and we're going to down cycle, but that's by no means uh, the only view that's out there. It might even be the minority view out there. Well, and I think the other thing that's tough is like, I mean, after 10 years, it's, it's the old, it's the Meb Faber God portfolio, right? Like how many people are still Swiss, in business yeah. that are able to make that argument? Because at some point it's like, all right, but you're going to go out of business. So there's I mean, just it's a lot more than 10 years now. It's like March, 2009, we're through April, 2021. So we're like 12 years in. It's, is, that, is there anything that's even remotely close? Well, we did have a pretty big panic in March, to be fair. Well, I was going to say, do you think that that, that, little blip is going to be thrown out in history. If we do, let's say we have another five-year run. Is this like 2009 to 2026 going to be considered one bull market with just a little, sort of like 87 was a blip in the middle of a 82 to 99 run. Yeah, I can see that. Because there have been others too, which we're not, you know, which we now don't think about or talk about. There was the late 2015 one. And uh, we had a good run in 2016. Then there was also late 2018, which like those have just completely passed by just because I guess 2020 was a bigger drawdown, but it was also very sharp. It was over very quickly. And now we're now like 30 or 40% above where we were at the top of what was already a pretty stretch market, I would have thought at the time. I, I guess that the one thing that I really have been thinking about and need to think a lot more about is like, we all sit around and look at stock prices all day <clears throat> or not. I, I, try I shouldn't not say, yeah, I, sh- I shouldn't, I shouldn't frame it that way, but the discussions that we have are about stock prices and, and dislocations within the stock market. And one thing that Jason Buck said to me this Friday, uh, when we sat down, you know, he's like, sometimes I kind of look at you guys and you're just like living in this little, little hovel and you're all like arguing over just the hovel and like, you're not paying attention to all of the other asset classes out there. Right. So that's fair. Uh, like, you know, maybe what we're talking about is actually just completely missing the real game. And we just happen to be like in this little hovel and we can't see anything else. Um, NFTs all in. <laughs> well, no, but cuts. I said, dude, I said it last week, right? Like the currency debasement theory, I think is uh, something that, I need to spend more time thinking about now. I don't know what, what I do with it. Like, I don't know if I implement what's the currency debasement theory. Well, just like if you just price these assets and hard assets and see how, see how, whether or not we're actually at highs, Bitcoin. this is like the Peter Schiff thing, like dividing everything by some denominator that's run up. Well, I mean, but, I guess that if, so if gold has run up because it is a, uh, argument that the dollar is going down, right? Like I do, I I don't, I don't know how to figure out when you're like matching the right time series. I don't know how to figure out what, how you're measuring it when you start, when you end. But like, I do think that somebody like Schiff would say, well, the reason stocks are going up is the dollar is going down. So 
I just haven't spent a whole lot of time thinking about that because I study to a church that doesn't talk about that at all and says that those kind of thoughts are stupid. And I'm just not sure that I've spent enough time questioning that assumption. Well, part of, you know, part of referring to the Schiller PE and other things like that and looking at the level of the market is to try to get an idea where the asset class is, um, you know, relative to other asset classes. So I use it relative to international markets and, I guess you could look at it relative to other, uh, you know, I had, a, I had an econometr- econometrics professor when I was in uni who used to like looking at gold, oil, and equities as three different groups. And he said, when you price each and the other, you see that they get these dislocations. So there's a chart that goes around every now and again that shows that we're, you know, some sort of commodities basket is extremely is unusually cheap now relative to the S&P 500 and that's because commodities have been beaten up and the S&P 500 is very very expensive and so that would suggest that you want to be more commodity focused than equities focused but then is, you that, know, on, is that on like current earnings cuz commodities have exploded higher that would be the thing a, that would terrify me about that I haven't seen it for a little while I've seen, I haven't yeah. seen it for a few months but it was it was something that went around quite a lot and it's always criticized in the same way that the Shilapee is always criticized. Like, and I, the Shil- I think the criticisms of the Shilapee are legitimate. Like it's, it's really only been around since 1996, basically hasn't worked since 1996. So I, I think that's a fair. So it hasn't worked since it's been around. I like it. Well, it's kind of, it's tr- like you look at when the market diverges from the long run average, it's 1996 yeah. and it just hasn't touched it since then. So, you know, is it useless? I don't know, but it's, I, I kind of like the theory of it that you take an inflation-adjusted average of ten years of earnings. It's better than a single-year PE, which can be you know you get a two thousand and eight type scenario where the banks yeah, wipe out all infinite. the earnings, and then you look at the single-year PE. The single-year PE is sort of like a contrarian indicator. When it's high, it's actually yeah. probably a pretty good time to buy. When it's low, you, you know that's because earnings are very high. Yeah, you actually perversely want to buy like cyclicals in the market when the single year PE is like screamingly high. Or you want to use a different metric. You want to use like yeah. assets, replacement assets that kind of like Tobin's Q would be a better metric than, yeah. than price than to sales earnings. even. Yeah. yeah. Even Some the Ken sales, Fisher sales stuff right here. <laughs> That's that, that name is cursed. Now. I know it's such a shame because he did write some good stuff, but I, you know, what's tough about him for me is, uh, like a lot of how I learned markets was through like, there's this Forbes book about him, uh, 25 years of a, of a market guru. And like, I really enjoyed that book and I really enjoyed a lot of what he wrote. And sometimes I just wonder if like these guys that are like super smart, just don't understand what they're allowed to think and say, like, He's got like major social problems. And, and look, like I'm not defending what he said and he's like clearly got some issues, but like, I don't even know if he knows he's got issues. Yeah. Like, they, like William Green's book touched on it. Like some investors, they got like this touch of like, they yeah. just don't even understand that it's not right to think. Yeah. And I, that's, that's I, that doesn't I make it right. It doesn't make it okay to go out and say it, but it's just like hard for me because he, he did frame so much of how I think about things and to just like not even be able to speak his name <laughs> doesn't it's feel okay right. to separate the message from the messenger too. Low, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Low self-awareness or low um, interpersonal. Like, low, low EQ. No EQ. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's Kinda crazy right. to, to build like a multi-billion dollar business and have that low of EQ though. Like that's crazy. 
Only in yeah. finance can you do that. Yeah, yeah well, through, through books. No, that's right? not true. I think you can do that in tech too. Oh yeah, it's, it might be an yeah. asset in tech too. That's true. In some ways, you need to be like you need to be able to hack it, hack the whatever like little limbic system drive that you're trying to target, but then not care at all about the consequences. Yeah, like being like a little bit of a sociopath might help a lot. There's <sighs> a cheery note to, uh, to end the podcast. <laughs> we got five more minutes, don't we? We started like, yeah, I, th- I think we might. Do we have no questions? Uh, so I'm I sure just... we have plenty of questions now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no answers though. <laughs> I've just, yeah, lots of questions, no answers. I gotta, I gotta hit, I gotta hit the, uh, the, on the, on the, on the half hour. Thanks right. folks. So next week we've got a little change in the lineup. Uh, Bill's taking a break for a couple of weeks. We're going to have, uh, Ian Cassell in uh, Loco Parentis or as a locum or something, one of those things. Makes me very who's gonna, happy. Who's going to run all the bots while he's on the Dude, show? No fans. I'll tune in. You'll have a fan. <laughs> I just can't. I can't. I, I, I need some time to clear my mind a little bit. Happy 420, everybody. Yeah, uh, happy holiday. Ciao. Shout out to this. Shake it up, stop when the clock hits 13. See one, two, three, four. Cause, 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 no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can.